0: You can endure a lot of hardship if you know that the end result is going to make it all worth it. Years of working and paying the mortgage so you can own your own house free and clear. Four years of college so you can get the job you want. Saving money for retirement a little bit at a time, month after month, year after year. Surgery, chemotherapy, hopes of remission from cancer. Really hard things that people can endure if they know that there's hope of something good and worth it at the end. If not, why go through the trouble? Why endure the sacrifice? Most of the goals that we sacrifice to reach are only reasonably likely. Lots of things can happen to disrupt our plans. A 30-year mortgage, right, is a long time. A lot can happen in 30 years. The same is true for saving money for retirement. And there's no guarantee that a college degree is going to lead to the job that you want. But we are reasonably certain that those things are going to work out, and that's why we go through the sacrifices necessary to get there. Now, there's no doubt that following Christ requires a certain amount of sacrifice and hardship. Jesus made that plain when he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We must deny ourselves. We must die to ourselves, we must resist temptation, we must endure hardship and tribulation, as well as opposition from the world. So much so, so much do we have to endure that Paul says that if Christ was not raised from the dead, and therefore that there would be no hope for us beyond the grave, then he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and there's no guarantee of heaven for you and me on the other side of the grave then the Christian life is not noble it's pitiable because of all we have sacrificed and suffered in order to faithfully follow Christ. So what hope do we have? What Certainty, what assurance, what reward, what good news is there beyond this life, beyond the grave, that makes all the sacrifice, the hardship, the discipline worth it? How certain is it that we will get to enjoy it? And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. This is the last sermon in our series on what it means to be human, what the Bible says about what it means to be people made in the image and likeness of God. We've been reminded that we were created by God, in the image of God, that we were created body and soul, male and female, and that all of that is good. We've been reminded that we are fallen and sinful and in need of redemption. And we've been reminded of the links to which God has gone in His love for us to make that redemption happen. Because so much of that is out of sync with what our culture is promoting and celebrating, we know that we are likely to face some scrutiny and even hardship over those convictions. And that those we are inviting to turn to Christ and to trust in Christ will have to give up much of of what they once held dear. So, what makes all that worth it? Worth the hardship, worth the opposition, worth the sacrifices, and all that we leave behind. The good news is that the Bible is crystal clear on what that hope is and on the certainty of that hope for all who belong to Christ. So I'm invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We're going to look at three different chapters or places in Scripture this morning. You don't have to turn to all of them, but I want you to start with me in Romans 8. We're going to look at uh, part of Romans 8, part of 1 Corinthians 15, and part of Revelation 21 and 22, which uh, are three of the high points, really, of the New Testament. Um, And so I want us to end on uh, this high note of assurance and uh, glory and... Reward. So uh, let me uh, read for us just a few verses out of Romans chapter 8 to get us started, uh, beginning in verse 18 of Romans 8. I'll read 18 to 25, and then we'll start digging in. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing." For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And let me just pause here and remind you that often in the Bible, hope is not a wish like we normally use it. Hope is a a certainty. It's an assurance of something that hasn't happened yet. So he did this in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation. by acknowledging the suffering that we endure and experience as those who belong to Christ and as those who live in a fallen world. But he assures us that the glory that is going to be revealed to us at Christ's return, that that glory is going to be so great that it's not even worth putting it in the scales with our present sufferings. There's just no comparison. In other words, when Christ comes back and we see Him face to face and we enter the new creation with Him, we're not going to look around and go, we suffered all that for this? I mean, it's pretty good, but I don't know. We went through a lot. But we're, we're going to step into that glory. We're going to see and uh, experience that glory. And we're going to say, Every hardship, every suffering, every sacrifice, all I had to endure, I would have done it a hundred times over for this. There's no comparison. This is so much greater, so much glory that it's not even worth talking about what we had to endure to get here. It's, it's not even worth comparing. This is so great. Now, what is that glory? that he's talking about what is it going to be like. Well, if you skip down to verse 29, uh, Paul talks about what God's aim is for us, what His purpose is for us, when he says those whom He foreknew, that those He set His love on before, those He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, don't let the word predestined there trip you up. Notice what Paul is saying. He's saying God's plan for you. Before you knew, God had a plan for you. God's plan for you is to make you perfectly like Jesus. That's his goal. To conform you to the image of his son. And there is no plan of God's that can be thwarted, there's no plan of God that meets unexpected hiccups. Or God says, oh, well, that's, I thought I was going to get to pull that off, but I guess not. What God purposes and God plans, God does, and nothing stops it. So if his plan for you is to make you perfectly, fully like Jesus, he's going to do it. And Paul wants you to be certain of that fact. So much so, he says in the next verse, verse 30, he says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. That's when he called you to salvation. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's when he declared you forgiven, innocent of sin, or forgiven of sin, and uh, righteous in Christ. So those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Not most of those who justified are glorified. All of those whom he justified, all of those whom he saved, all those whom he has pronounced forgiven, he also glorified. That is a future reality for us, but it's so certain, it's so sure, he can talk about it as though it has already happened, glorified, past tense. Right? It's as good as done. You and I will be glorified. Now what does that mean? Right? That's a big, great sounding word, right? But if somebody says, Well, what what do you mean glorified? What what's going to happen to you? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the same thing John talks about in 1 John 3 2 in different language. In 1 John 3 2, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Right? Same thing uh, that Paul is saying here when he says, we're justified. Right? Just Paul's talking about being forgiven. John's talking about being adopted into God's family. They're both part of what it means to be saved. Right? And so John says, we're God's children now. We're already saved. We've been adopted into his family. But then he says, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. What Paul is talking about when he says that we are going to be glorified is he's talking about what's going to happen when we see Jesus face to face and we are conformed perfectly to Christ's image, the glorious, resurrected Son of God. When we see him, we are going to be like him, as fully and perfectly like him as it is possible for a human being to be. That's what awaits us, Paul says. And not only does that await us, it is what God has promised us. It's it's not a maybe. It's not a possibly. It's a certainty for everybody who turns from their sin and puts their trust in Christ. You see, salvation is not just about what happens to us now and where we will be in the future. It is about that. But it's about more than that. It's not just about forgiveness now and heaven later. It's also about what happens to us later. Not just where we go, but what God does to make us fit to be there. We fit to be in the presence of God, to, to be in a new creation where there's no more sin or suffering or death. we ready for that? We're not fit for that yet. Something has to happen to us. Paul says, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Neither can the perishable inherit the imperishable. Something has to happen to us so that we can live in the presence of God and survive and enjoy it. That's what's going to happen when Christ returns. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be made like Christ. And that includes receiving resurrected immortal bodies. And Paul talks about that in Romans 8 as well. Earlier in the passage where we read, he said what we're waiting for, longing for, groaning for, the hope in which we were saved is what he calls the redemption of our bodies. It's not just the redemption of our souls, as essential as that is, but also the redemption of our bodies. Remember, from the beginning, God made us, in his image, body and soul. We're not souls who are just can't wait to get rid of these bodies and be done with them forever. No, God made us to be both body and soul. And so the redemption that he's accomplished, the salvation that Jesus has secured for us, includes not only our souls, but also our bodies when they're raised from the dead. That's why Jesus was raised from the dead, so that we could also have eternal bodily life in his presence. And Paul talks about this at length in First Corinthians 15 because we have all kinds of questions right, about what that's going to be like. What do you mean, Paul, that we're going to be raised from the dead? How do we know that's going to happen? What is that going to mean? What is that going to change about us? What's it not going to change about us? We have lots of questions, right? And so the first question is, how do we know that we're going to be raised from the dead? Because that's, you know, that's not exactly the kind of thing that happens all the time. Somebody being raised from the dead. How can I be sure that that's going to happen? Well, Paul tells us, uh, beginning in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, that our resurrection is guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection. Right? So he says in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, Jesus has already been raised from the dead. We know that. We, oh, so many people uh, witnessed it. The apostles preached it. Uh, we, that's what we believe. That is at the center of our faith, that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. But he says, Christ's resurrection is just the first fruits of a larger harvest. And the larger harvest is going to be brought in when Christ returns. But he says in verse 22, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So everybody who's in Christ is going to be made alive, is going to be raised from the dead. But he says in verse 23, each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Jesus' resurrection is just the beginning, and then when Jesus comes back, All of us who belong to Jesus will be raised to be with him forever. That's what's going to happen. Well, then you might say, okay, well, what's that going to look like? Uh, What's our resurrection body going to be like? Is it going to be like this one? Is it going to be different than this one? How is that going to work? Well, obviously there are going to be some differences Right? And we can expect that there will be some similarities. The Bible does indicate that we will know people. Right? When we're uh, in the kingdom of God, it talks about you know, sitting down at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Right? You, you're going to know who they are. Right? People are going to know who we are. But there are going to be some significant, wonderful, glorious differences between what our bodies are like now and what they're going to be like then. Paul says, if you look down to verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, uh, with the, this is how it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, the, the, the seed was perfect this morning, right? The, the seed that is sown is not the body that is raised, right? The acorn doesn't look like an oak tree, but that's where the oak tree comes from. So your body is sown into the ground, Perishable, Uh, It it dies, it breaks down, it it stops working. But what is raised, when your body is raised, is imperishable. You're going to have a body that doesn't break, doesn't get sick, doesn't wind down, but that will never, ever perish. He says it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. There's that word glory again, right? Our resurrection bodies are going to have the glory that Christ's resurrection body has. We're going to be raised with glorious bodies. He it says it's sown in weakness. Right? We feel that even before it gets sown. Right? We, we we know the weakness. But he says it's going to be raised in power. It's going to be strong. Right? Again, imperishable, incorruptible. He says, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. Now that might trip us up a little bit, because spiritual and body don't usually go together in our thinking. Right? We usually think spiritual means no body. Right? Is it a spirit or is it a body? But it's not contrasting spiritual with physical. right? It's contrasting phys- or spiritual with natural. So it's more like talking about the relationship between our resurrection bodies and the spirit, right? That they will be spiritual uh, in a way that they are not now. But it he's not saying they won't be physical or material, they, they will, right? They're still gonna be bodies, um, but uh, you know, at least one scholar has said it, it's something like they're gonna be animated more by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, which is what we want, right? We want to have uh, lives even now that are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. As we walk in step with the Spirit, that's going to become perfectly true of us in these spiritual bodies when Christ returns. He also says that we're going to bear the image of Christ. In verse 49, he says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Of course, that word image takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We're going to perfectly reflect God's image, Christ's own image when our bodies are raised at the end. When that happens we are finally going to experience the fullness of the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us. We We don't have the we're, we're just as saved, right? You're like you're, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, if you belong to Christ, like you're, you're saved and nothing's going to change that. But you haven't yet experienced all that that salvation means. right? You've been given the down payment. You've been given the deposit. It's, it's yours and it's guaranteed to be yours, but you don't yet possess all of it. That's not going to happen until Christ returns. Because Paul tells us in verse 26 that the last enemy, the enemies of Christ that are going to be put under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We still face that enemy now, right? Death is still our enemy now. But when Jesus comes back and death is banished, finally and forever, then what's going to happen? Paul says... Later in, uh, in verse 50 and 51 and, and, and on and on and on, he says, I, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. That is, we're not all going to die. Some will be alive when Jesus comes back. But he says, we shall all be changed. Whether you're alive or whether you've died, you're going to experience this resurrection transformation. In the twinkling of an eye, he says, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Here it is again. Imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality, meaning you won't die anymore, ever again. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, he says, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There's going to be... Celebration and rejoicing as we are raised from the dead and death is finally banished forever and has no more hold on us, no more sway over us, but we are welcomed into life. Life in the presence of God. Resurrection life that never ends, that is ours through Christ. Christ died to accomplish that for us. That's the full effect of it. He died that we might live forever in his presence. He was raised immortal that we might be raised immortal, never to die again, just like him, so that we can be with him, as they used to say, world without end. That's what Christ accomplished for us. And John paints for us, this is our last passage, John paints for us a beautiful picture of this, in Revelation 21 and 22. This is what we're headed for. This is the hope that burns in our hearts, that sustains us when life is hard and things are dark and uh, our bodies aren't working like they're supposed to and, and, and we fall short of following Christ as faithfully as we want to and, and we're groaning, Paul says. Remember back in Romans 8, we're groaning, we're longing for this day to come. What is it that we're longing for? What is it that God is promising us? Not only a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation in, in uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, but also, finally, dwelling in the presence of God, just like we were meant to do from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Verse 3 says, John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There are a thousand things wrapped up in that statement that John can't spell out for us because there's just too many. What does it mean? I mean, just think like what does it mean for someone to be brought into a family who has no family? To be brought into a family that loves them, embraces them, provides for them. Think about all the things that entails. All the comfort and assurance and love and provision and all the multitude of things and then ratchet that up Times a thousand. And that's what John is saying in just this one line. When God is going to dwell with us and be our God. And we are going to be his people. He does spell out some of it for us in verse 4. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. The sorrow, the suffering, the hardship, the pain, the sacrifice, all of that, done away with. Not a part of your life, not a part of your reality, anymore, forever. Verse 5, he says, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Not some things, not most things all things new. And as if he knew that it would be hard for us to believe that, it says, also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can take it to the bank that God is going to make all things new, including you, if you're his. In chapter 22, he describes what's arguably the the high point, even of this high point in these chapters, when he says, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. will be marked as his, and we will see him. What Moses longed for, God, show me your glory. And God said, no, you can't, you can't handle that. You'll, you'll have to die if I show you my full glory glory, what Moses longed for but was denied, we will all see when Christ returns, our bodies are raised, we're glorified we're in God's presence and we will see his face and he says also no longer will there be anything accursed, this is verse 3 but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him, then verse 5 night will be no more they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. We're not only going to be in his presence, we're not only going to be worshiping him, but we're also going to be reigning with him forever. What it means to be human is not limited to what we experience now in this broken and fallen world, with all the effects of the curse pressing on us from within and without. We will not experience the fullness of what it means to be a person made in the image of God, dwelling in the presence of God, experiencing eternal life with God until Christ returns. In the meantime, we have to endure much suffering, hardship, pain. We have to sacrifice, resist temptation, trust God, put our hope in Him, knowing that His way is best and His promises are true. But on the other side of that, there is incomparable glory. And to that hope we cling.